Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Okay, cool. Man, y'all are awake. I love it. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning and joining us for worship. Uh, I got a couple of quick things for you as we uh, dive into our time, but we're going to find ourselves, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. As you work your way there, uh, let me kind of just give you a couple of things. Uh, the first one, as I mentioned, man, we're so thankful that you are here with us. We would love to connect with you. We'd love to hang out with you. We'd love to pray for you. And so on the chairs before you are these connect cards. Fill one out, drop it in the offering basket, or leave it in the back connect desk, and someone will get with you shortly. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we love God. We love God's Word. And so if you do not have a Bible with you, also in the chairs before you are these Bibles. That is our gift to you. Take one with you. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, or if you know someone who would benefit from having one, please hook them up with God's Word word. Uh, this morning, we're going to be starting a new sermon series. Last week, we finished our time in Jonah. That was really cool. Loved the discussion from our time in the book of Jonah uh, this morning. And really through the rest of December, we're going to be starting a new sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And so I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about the conversation and the discussion that this ought to produce. Um, essentially, and I'll repeat this later on in our time, essentially what we're aiming to answer over the next five weeks is, what does the Holy Spirit do? Right? That's essentially what we're looking to answer over the next couple of weeks. And so today is kind of uh, the catalyst for all of uh, the work that the Holy Spirit does. I would also add that in five weeks, we are not going to cover everything that we'd like to. And so as we walk through this sermon series, if at the end you're like, I think there's more, you would be right. I would agree with you. We should hang out. We only have five weeks. And so we wanted to choose uh, maybe five concentrated areas, uh, beginning with today, and that is the work of regeneration. Now, when it comes to this series, we're going to be spitting and throwing a ton of theological words, but we're not doing that just to impress you. Uh, I'm going to be doing that to teach you, uh, man, what scripture has to say about this particular word and or doctrine so that you and I would ultimately grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, what he is doing, and in particular of the Holy Spirit. And so with all of that being said, I would just love to dive into our time. And I'd love to dive into our time by hooking you up with two questions. Now, these are two questions that I would encourage you to reflect on. Don't answer me right now. Uh, uh, these are two questions that you can write in that journal that you have. You can put in your app, uh, whatever it is that you find most comfortable. I got two questions for you. The first one is this. Church, if the Holy Spirit were to leave you tomorrow morning, would anything change? Say it one more time. If the Holy Spirit were to leave you tomorrow morning, would anything change? Let me ask you a different question. Do you ever get frustrated with yourself? You just want to change, you're trying to do better, you're trying to do it differently, and it just doesn't work. You keep falling short. And so you get frustrated with yourself. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But pertaining to the first question, if the Holy Spirit were to leave you tomorrow morning, what would change? Here, here is my concern. My concern is that as a church, both here at Storehouse and as a whole, my concern is that when it comes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, I'm afraid we're a little indifferent toward him. I'm afraid we're a little intimidated by him. And we're a little ignorant. And I mean that in every sense of the word. I certainly don't mean to insult you. I mean you that we're uninformed. But when it comes to being uninformed, we're okay with that. Right? You see, for those who belong to Jesus, having the Holy Spirit or hearing that the Holy Spirit dwells in you sounds more convenient than it does transformative. And so over the next five weeks, as we dive into the person and work of the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to seek to answer the question, well then, what does the Holy Spirit 
do. And as we come to learn more and more about the Holy Spirit, I think there are a couple of things that we need to preface our time with. I think there are a couple of, I guess you can call them camps or positions. You know, like, oh man, this is making me uncomfortable already. It should. Uh, Not because I want you to feel uncomfortable, but because I hope that through the Spirit we're convicted. That there are these, mm, let's just call them for the sake of this sermon, let's call them positions. They're not necessarily formal positions, but let's call them positions for the sake of our time. There are a couple of positions as to why the church does not have a fruitful relationship, understanding, or a fruitful theology of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly why we want to do this sermon series. And so here's, here would be the first position. The first position is that there are those within the church that separate the Holy Spirit from the rest of the Trinity. That it is God the Father, it is God the Son, and it is God the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, all of the emphasis and work goes into the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and the Father and the Son go uh, ignored so that people, teachers, preachers, leaders can exploit uh, in an abusive way the Holy Spirit. And some of you may have seen this on TV. Some of you may have this kind of an experience, this kind of church background where the Holy Spirit is isolated. That's a better way of saying separated, where the Holy Spirit is isolated. And as he is isolated, they take advantage of the Holy Spirit in an effort to promote their own selfish gain or to emotionally abuse and spiritually abuse the church. And often what tends to happen is, if we're just honest, some weird stuff tends to happen. And then there's this other side of people who are like, I don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. And there's some weird things. And I just, that's weird. I'm not going to lie. I've been there where you hear stories of the church and you hear some of the experiences that people come out of where the Holy Spirit was used in a way of abuse. You're just like, ah, yeah, the Holy Spirit's real and that's all you need to know. Like, like he's talked about in the pages of scripture. That's it. So we got this one extreme where he is used for the abuse of the church. But then we have this other extreme where you have people who are, man, they're all about the Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? Where the Spirit, yeah, the Spirit exists in the pages of Scripture. Because mystery sounds too uncertain, and mystery sounds like I don't have control, and I don't like that, right? I'm not going to lie. I've been there. That's more where I've leaned toward and I've learned more about the Holy Spirit over the past couple of years, and I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I certainly come from that like, yeah, the Holy Spirit comes out of the pages of Scripture. That's, I'm, I'm cool with that. Don't talk to me, right? And then finally, and I would say probably this one's a great concern for all of us. So if we have one extreme where people isolate the Holy Spirit, we have this other extreme where people ignore the Holy Spirit altogether. There's this other camp position, disposition, whatever you'd like to call it, where there are people who simply don't care about the Holy Spirit. Again, hearing and knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer and those who belong to Jesus. He dwells in the believer. is something that sounds much more convenient than it does transformative. It sounds like something a little bit more churchy and not so gracious. And so as we dive into John 3 and the rest of our series, my hope is that we can come to better understand this member of the Trinity, that that we would come to better understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit so that our lives would be shaped by his work done for us and in us. And so just like the book of Jonah, I want to give you my thesis. This is a working thesis. This might change, right? And what I mean by thesis is this is essentially my argument for the five weeks that we're going to be doing this series. Here's my argument. There can be no union with Christ apart from the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 
That is my working thesis. No, that's probably my thesis, right? For the whole series. There can be no union. There can be no knowing Jesus. There could be no relationship. There could be no, uh, yeah, there can be no unity with Christ apart from the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That is the argument for the series. Here's the main idea. If you're already tuning out, hopefully you hear this. And I hope that you don't tune out. Here's the main idea for our time. Real change, you know, spiritual change, the change that happens at a fundamental level, real change is the result of regeneration. That is, a work of God, the Holy Spirit, where our hearts and nature are changed. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Okay? And so with that, I'd like to read John 3. We're going to go verses 1 through 7. I'll read it, and then I'll pray. Here we go. John writes, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's wombs and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, not only to hear the preached word, but hopefully to examine the condition of our hearts. God, I pray that you would illuminate our understanding and our appreciation for the Holy Spirit. As such, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be not only present among us, you're, you're already doing that, but that you would be at work within us. That as we dive into your word, we would ultimately come to learn more about you and consequently learn more about ourselves. Holy Spirit, I pray that in this time, <clears throat> that in this time of worship, it wouldn't be a time of controversy, but it would be a time where you direct us and point us to Jesus. God, we are thankful and grateful for you, the work that you have done for us in Christ, and the time that we have this morning to worship you through song, through your word, through prayer, and ultimately through communion. And so, God, we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Y'all ready? Okay, here we go. So in this portion of Scripture, in John 3, in this portion of Scripture, uh, Jesus essentially poses a question to you and I. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in John 3, and then if you want to go there in a little bit, we're going to spend a little bit more time in Ezekiel 36. Uh, but before that... In this section of John, Jesus essentially poses a question to you and I without necessarily asking a question, which is what I love. Uh, and the question is, how is your heart? How is your heart this morning? I want to talk a little bit about Nicodemus and Jesus and the conversation that they are engaging in. But before I dive into that, I want you to look at, and I have my Bible closed, but I have my notes here, so I don't exactly know what verse it is. I want you to look at what John writes about Nicodemus, where he says that this man, that is Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. I want to focus there. Now, uh, I don't want to, or I want to focus there purely out of, uh, out of theory, 
Uh, I, I actually wouldn't spend a lot of time in your quiet time, in your devotional time, looking into the fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. This is purely theoretical. Uh, nobody has an answer. I certainly don't have an answer as to why Nicodemus approached Jesus at night. But essentially, Nicodemus's question to Jesus is, who are you? That's what he's posing. Who are you? And so with that being said, I want to look at, and I would say this, let me add, man, I got a lot of tangents this morning, got a lot going on up here, and it's also been because of the coffee. And so uh, this isn't necessarily note-taking time. This is the part where I just want you to chew, just chew on this fat with me, all right? Here we go. Here's the first theory as to why Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in secret so that the members of the Sanhedrin wouldn't know about his meeting with Jesus. That's why he's doing it. That would be theory number one. And if you're like, who are the Sanhedrin? Very, very briefly, the Sanhedrin, think of them like the Supreme Court of the Pharisees of the day. Anyway, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night so that no one else would know. Now, why does that matter to you? Because maybe that is you and that's why you're here. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're perplexed. And like Nicodemus, you're asking the question, who are you? The second theory is that Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night in secret as a representative of a group of people. Essentially, he's posing a question to Jesus and then adding, I'm asking for a friend. And perhaps that's you. Perhaps you're hiding behind something. Perhaps you're crippled by fear. Maybe you're crippled by uncertainty. And you are also asking quietly under your breath, who are you? The third theory that I would throw out there is when you read the Gospel of John, really when you read anything John, he is very simplistic in his use of language. And when it comes to the term darkness throughout his Gospel in particular, it refers to spiritual darkness and it refers to corruption. And so maybe that is you, where you're distant and you're not know, you don't know who God is and your heart is hardened. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're skeptical. And you are also asking, who are you? The next one is that it actually wasn't uncommon for a rabbi to teach into the late evening. And so maybe Nicodemus was just in line and and, and it was his turn. And so he had been waiting, he had been anticipating to encounter Jesus, to engage Jesus, and he was ready. And maybe that's you, maybe you're eager, maybe you're ready to debate, maybe you're proud and arrogant, maybe you feel threatened and you're asking, who are you? Or similar, this is the last theory, similar to the fourth, Nicodemus approaches Jesus because he's next in line, but he approaches Jesus with humility. He approaches Jesus with humility, that he is humble but broken, hopeful yet anticipant, asking, who are you? Again, these are extra biblical theories, but they pose the same question that I asked you earlier. How is your heart doing? How is your heart this morning? You see, Nicodemus is an educated man. Nicodemus is a religious man. He is an accomplished man, and he comes to Jesus, not just asking, who are you? But he's asking, like, how does this work? And the answer that Jesus gives him isn't one that necessarily addresses Nicodemus, but it addresses the heart of Nicodemus. That's why Nicodemus gets a little sarcastic with Jesus. What do you mean you gotta be born again, right? He's not saying that out of curiosity, he's trying to be sarcastic. And so what makes this passage, uh, what makes this conversation so significant is that Jesus is actually giving Nicodemus the answer. He's saying you must be born again. You must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what? What do you mean you got to be born again? And again, Jesus keeps pressing this. 
And he presses this because regeneration or the new birth begins with the heart. It begins with the heart because the heart is at the center of a person. It is at the core of who we are. And if we aim or desire to want to have a relationship with God, then a person must be regenerated. A person must have a new heart. You must be made new. And all of the accomplishments and all of the religious practice and all of the education that Nicodemus has is not getting, getting him there. And that's why Jesus poses the new birth to him. That's why it throws him off. So, I want to walk through, I suppose, three sections. If you're going to take notes, this is where you want to, right? I want to walk through three sections of this word regeneration and how it pertains to John 3. First thing is, I want us to define what regeneration is. Then I want us to look at the necessity for regeneration. And then I want us to look at evidence of regeneration. So let's begin with the first one. First one is, well, what is regeneration? Here's what I would say first. This is what it is not. Regeneration is not behavior modification. It is not simply being good. It is being made new. There's a significant difference there. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, the apostle Paul says, Behold, the old has passed and the new is here. The new creation is here. Regeneration is not behavior modification. It's not simply being good. It is being made new. Here's what regeneration is, however. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit where the heart and nature of man is changed. Pulling from John 3, as Jesus continues, he says, after Nicodemus is like, how could you be born again? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is kind of meeting Nicodemus where he's at because after all, Nicodemus is an educated man. He's an accomplished man. He has books of the Bible, the Old Testament memorized. And so Jesus meets him where he's at and he begins to pull from the Old Testament. He begins to pull from this passage in Ezekiel 36. This is where God says, God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Just before that, he also says that he will wash us with water so that we would be cleansed. Jesus is pulling from Ezekiel. He's pulling from the Old Testament to meet Nicodemus where he's at. And the beauty of regeneration or the beauty of a new heart is that it comes by us through the Holy Spirit when we are confronted with the gospel and the promises of God and when we are confronted with our sin. That is completely different than being informed of the gospel and informed of our sin. In Ezekiel 36, God lays out what we get as a result of regeneration. The first thing is that, you can write this down if you like, this isn't in the notes. The first thing that we receive is a new heart. He says, the heart of stone that you have, the heart of stone that isn't doing anything, the one that is corrupt, the one that isn't for me, I will remove that and I will give you a new heart. A new heart that works. A new heart that beats love. That's what I will give you. He continues. He says, I will put within you a new spirit. That part, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. What he is talking about is a change in the person. He's talking about a change of attitude, a change of disposition. Things start changing. What you hate, you now love. What you used to love, you now hate. There is a change in the person. And then he continues, and I will put my spirit in you. So not only in regeneration, not only do we receive a new heart, 
Not only do we receive a change, a renewed heart or a renewed mind, but we also receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit where he abides in us. And the verse before this passage where he talks about us being cleaned, uh, that he will clean, clean us, cleanse us, excuse me, with water, you would think that, man, I, I, why would the Holy Spirit want to dwell in me? There's nothing good about me. There's nothing clean about me. There's nothing, there's everything. There's a lot of filth in this body that's going on. There's, there's a lot of filth. Why would he want to? Check it. He is going to give us a new heart and a new mind, and he puts his spirit in us, which means that we have been cleansed by him, that we have been forgiven of our sin, that our sin was actually nailed to the cross on our behalf by Jesus. And so as he gives us his spirit, the spirit actually wants to dwell in us because we are cleansed of our sin through the work of Jesus on the cross. And so we get the Holy Spirit. We get to be cleansed. We get a new heart. We have a new disposition. Things change. The person changes. The heart is now new. The mind has been renewed. That's everything that is happening like that in regeneration. When we slow it down, we can walk through this as a process. But when we are confronted with the promise of God and his gospel and our sin, and he removes those scales from our eyes, it happens instantaneously. All of this is going on right now. Now, even with that, even in the work of regeneration, you might still be asking yourself, like, got it, I'm new, my heart is cleansed, but I still sin. Like, what's up with that? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. The first thing that I just want you to walk away with, or the first thing that I just want you to know, uh, is that the work of regeneration leads to a new heart. It leads to us being cleansed of our sin, to us being made clean by God. It leads to the Holy Spirit abiding in us. The work of regeneration leads to a new heart. That's not behavior modification. That's not just being made good. That's being made new. So now let's talk about the necessity of regeneration. Why is regeneration the new birth? Why is that necessary? Well, if we look at Nicodemus as an example, regeneration is necessary for salvation. We could say it this way, that regeneration is necessary in order to know God. At the end of the day, accomplishments, your family's faith, uh, being good and being religious doesn't amount to an authentic relationship with God. It is the change of a heart that does. It is the work of the Holy Spirit for us and in us that does. And so regeneration is necessary for salvation. And remember, the work of regeneration through the Holy Spirit does a bunch of things. And so one can't say that they are saved and there be little to no or no fruit at all. One can't say that, man, being saved just got me out of hell. I'm good to go. The work of salvation is more than just that. It is also being reconciled to the Father. That through the Son, the fence of separation that you and I have with the Father has been removed. And because of the Holy Spirit at work in us, that new heart, we now have access to the Father through the Son. So we have been reconciled to God, and we have been reconciled to one another. It is the grace of God that has saved us from the wrath of God. Now, all of that matters because that is not possible on our own. It's not possible on our own. The Bible teaches that we are born uh, physically alive, but spiritually dead. And unless we are spiritually alive in Christ through the Holy Spirit, then we will never know God. This means, apart from Jesus, you can be morally good and yet still spiritually corrupt. You can be super religious, 
going to all the community groups, having the fish on your minivan, and uh, you know the cross wall that everybody has. You can have all that and still not know Jesus unless you have been made alive. Everything going on with the work of regeneration is God doing a work for us. All right, here we go. Here's the note part. The work of regeneration is monergistic, okay? guys feel me on that? That means there is one agent involved. Being made spiritual, spiritually alive involves one agent, and that is God. It is he who makes us or brings us to spiritual life. It is he who breathes life into our dead bones. Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Paul continues in Ephesians 2 to say, but you are now made alive in Christ. So let's look at the evidence. Let's look at the evidence of regeneration and take a sip of our drinks. Regeneration may be a one-time thing, right? Where God brings us from spiritual death to bringing us to spiritually alive. But the work of sanctification is an ongoing work. It is the Holy Spirit at work in us, transforming us into the image of Christ. So, these aren't the only ones, but here are, I don't know, what do you want to call them? Six marks, six, six marks of evidence of someone of a regenerated heart, let's say it that way, okay? I wanna give you three, like right off the bat, I'm gonna talk about each one individually, but I wanna say something about each three. First one is a love for Jesus, all of this is on the notes, a love for Jesus, a love for the word of God, and a love for disciples of Jesus and making disciples. Now, the reason I wanna talk about those three is because the primary work of a regenerated heart is love. The primary work of a regenerated heart is love. Paraphrasing from 1 John chapter 4, we see that John writes, love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. So, let's go back to these. The first one is a love for Jesus. Now, we can chalk this up to worship. You see, when we receive a new heart... Man, the scales are off the eyes. We recognize that we have been cleansed from our sin. The Holy Spirit abides in us. And before things start happening, one of the most significant changes that we see immediately is a love for God. I can remember uh, becoming a Christian a little over 10 years ago, and I was working for uh, the city of McAllen. I was working for the city, and... Um, and I had uh, about 200 employees. And um, I remember one week just doing a bunch of stupid stuff with them. And at that time, a friend of mine was sharing the gospel with me. And I would just get so annoyed at him talking to me about Jesus. I'm just gonna be honest, right? We can be honest here, right? Okay, like I was annoyed because my friend was a white guy, and is a white guy, he's not dead, right? And so, uh, <laughs> and so, so I say this because out of, out of ignorance, I wasn't raised in the church, I didn't, I didn't grow up within the church, and so no, no joke, man, I'm just being honest, man. Like, I don't care what you think. Like, I seriously thought like, oh yeah, Hispanics are Catholic, white people are Christian, like that's how it works. Um, and, uh, and so he's sharing the gospel with me, and I feel like he is sharing it with me out of some like moral duty, you know, like, just, like, enough. And I remember as he would leave, I would just, like, make fun of him with my employees, and I would belittle him, and I would talk ill of him. And then even at one point, he annoyed me so much that I cussed him out in front of my employees because I was just fed up with this God of the Bible and some church plant, and no one cares, right? And I remember 
I said that I would go with him to the Sunday evening service just so that he would shut up. And, uh, and so I, I went, and I remember some of my friends who were also some of my employees were like, why are you going to go? Why are you there? And I was like, I'm just there to shut them up. Like, as soon as they do their amens, I'm out, right? And I remember um, going to the service, leaving, and, and just kind of being done. The next day, he gives me a call, and the first thing I think of is like, oh, this is the follow-up, right? Um, and so he calls me, and all he said was, hey, man, thanks for coming. Really appreciated it. And I was like, sure, cool, right? He tells me that. And then he asks, or he says, if you ever need to talk about anything, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm available to listen. And I don't know what it was. Perhaps it really was the Holy Spirit dropping a bomb, or perhaps it was the Holy Spirit beginning to reel me in at that moment. But as soon as he said that, I started confessing all of my sin to him. Like, I told him about the thousands of dollars that I was stealing from under him. And I was telling him about a bunch of things that I had just been doing. And so as, he's tell, as I'm telling him all this, and I finally finish, I realize, Oh my gosh, because my friend was also my boss. Oh my gosh, I just finished confessing all of this sin to my boss. Uh, I don't have a job anymore. And, uh, and I remember the first thing he said was, hey man, I just want you to know that I love you and that I've forgiven you. And I was like, what? So, I don't know, a couple days later, meet with him and my pastor at the time. A couple days later after that, I come to know Jesus. And it was all within like a week and a half time. And... Within that week, I remember we used to have community groups, and it was on Thursday night. And so I go to this community group, first time I get a Bible, all these people are there, it's weird, they're praying. Um, and the next day I go back to work, and I'm telling my staff about not just my experience, but specifically I start telling them about Jesus, because I started reading a little bit in Ephesians. And so what they end up telling me is like, what is going on? Like, why are you talking about this Jesus? Weren't you like ripping him up last week? And weren't you ripping up so-and-so last, like weren't you just ripping up a bunch of Christians last week? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm one of them now. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's, the, so I don't say that to like, you know, uh, make much of me, like that's, that's stupid. Um, but, but I say that in the sense of, one of the first things that is the most recognizable as a result of a regenerated heart is a love for Jesus. Like, let's just be honest. Like, you can't shut up. It's like a CrossFitter, right? <laughs> like, like, you just talk about Jesus, not just because you have to talk about Jesus, but because you want to talk about Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for you, and the Holy Spirit has not only regenerated your heart, has not only given you a new heart, but is abiding in you, and he is doing all these behind-the-scenes work to where you're just like, let me tell you about Jesus. And what's so magnificent about that is, man, this is God, the Holy Spirit, working in the background, making much of Jesus. Like, his job is to point you to Jesus, and so that Jesus would be glorified. And so the first mark of a regenerated heart would be a love for Jesus. Not just do you talk about Jesus, but like this authentic, desperate, I want to know Jesus. It is a love for Jesus. The next one is a love for the word of God. I, I, I get this one a lot. Like, man, I, I love God. I just don't really read his word. Then there's, there's an inconsistency there. There's a disconnect, right? Because God meets us where we are and he reveals himself to us in the pages of scripture. Now, I'm not standing up here to try to guilt you to read more. I am uh, hoping that you would be faithful in your reading so that you would grow to love God more. So that you would learn more about yourself and in turn learn more about God. So that you would be more like Jesus. Not so that you would satisfy some poor position of leadership. But so that you would come to know Jesus more. The next one is a love for the disciples of Jesus and a love for making disciples. We talk about discipleship a lot, but I want to talk specifically about a love for the disciples of Jesus. In, in John 13, and if, you're, if you see the notes online, there are scriptures attached to all of these. I'm just not going to go into them right now. But in John 13, one of the things that Jesus tells his disciples, he says, man, the world will come to know me by how you guys love one another. 
Now we can amen all that, but here's my problem when it comes to the church. That is the church, like church, not just storehouse. Is that, man, some of the meanest people, some of the cruelest people are in the church. In Ephesians 3, God through Paul says that he will reveal himself to a watching world through the church. Being reconciled to God has implications. One of those implications is that we have been reconciled to one another. And so how we interact and love one another is going to demonstrate what we think, believe, and value about Jesus. Now, let me just get personal. Some of y'all have beef with one another, and you chalk it up with Christianese sprinkles, and you chalk it up with like spiritual language, like I'm not called to talk to so-and-so. I haven't felt the Spirit prompt me. He's doing it right now. There, there you go. There's, you know, your sign, right? Some of y'all have beef with one another. And like one of the theories behind Nicodemus, you wanna hide behind some theological babble, right? You wanna use spiritual words, Some of you are looking down. I'll just look up. So I don't want to make you guys feel even more uncomfortable. Right? Some of you just don't want to handle that beef. And and here's the other thing. You know you don't want to handle that beef. Like, like you know what's causing a heart of bitterness. You know that you are withholding grace from one another. Like, you know that you are in sin. But because you haven't felt called, or you haven't been prompted by the Holy Spirit, you don't do anything. Love is the primary mark of a regenerated heart. I'm not saying you're going to be best friends. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy conversation. What I'm saying is be reconciled to one another because it is through the church that God will reveal himself. Number four. Everybody's like, yes, let's move on. Don't think I can't hear, right? Number four. (laughs) Anyway, number four is fighting sin. I want to talk a little bit about this. I mentioned this earlier, right? Some of you might even be confused. Like, okay, like I know Jesus. I have this regenerator heart, but I keep on dropping the ball. Like, what's up, right? Well, there are a couple of things I want you to know. I want you to be encouraged by some, but then I also just want you to have a reality uh, uh, as it pertains to your relationship with God. So the first one is, man, I want you to know that you're forgiven. If you belong to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has done a work and is doing a work in you, and you have been forgiven. Pulling from Ezekiel 36, you have been cleansed. Pulling from 1 John, where he writes that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. I want you to know that, that you are forgiven. That if you belong to Jesus, that if you have a renewed heart, you are forgiven forgiven as a result as a result of your forgiveness and as a result of the holy spirit dwelling in you you now have the power to say no to sin being cleansed and having the holy spirit dwell in you empowers you it is a grace that empowers you you have the ability to say no to sin Before, when you didn't know God and didn't have the Holy Spirit, the uh, the Bible teaches that we were enslaved to our sin. And now as a result of uh, the person and work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, you are no longer a slave to your sin. You have the power to say no. In addition to that, just because we have been freed from the power of sin does not mean we have been delivered yet from the presence of sin. So that's where fighting sin comes in. That's where fighting sin comes in. That's, that's a progressive obedience. Like, yes, you're gonna drop the ball. Maybe you did it already this morning. Maybe right now, I don't know. You're gonna drop the ball. But part of the work of the Holy Spirit 
in us is this progressive obedience that we could actually look back to. We could actually look back to see what God is doing and how he's growing us. Number five, confession and repentance. Here's simply what I want to say about that. That when it comes to confession, as a result of the Holy Spirit abiding in us, when it comes to confession, not only do we agree with the charges that have been brought before us, but we recognize that the grace of God is our only hope. And as a result, there is grief accompanied with our repentance. In 2 Corinthians uh, 7, I think, Paul is uh, encouraging the Corinthian church. He tells them, man, I'm so glad that the grief of your sin led you to repentance. I'm not making a big deal. I'm, like, like, I'm not like jumping for joy that you were grieved. I'm saying like, man, that is a mark of maturity. It is the grief of your sin and the work of the Spirit in you that led you to repentance. Confession and repentance is another mark. And finally, number six, the pursuit of holiness. The pursuit of holiness isn't just being made good, or excuse me, the pursuit of holiness isn't just doing better, isn't just being good. The pursuit of holiness isn't being a good Christian. The pursuit of holiness is a work to be more like Jesus. That's what the pursuit of holiness is. It is a work to be made more like Jesus as a result of the Spirit in us. And so that takes us back to John 3. Look, Nicodemus had to respond. He doesn't respond in this section, but as you read the Gospel of John, we come to learn that he did. But Nicodemus had to respond. See, in this section, Jesus addresses you and I just like he addresses Nicodemus. He addresses us plainly and he addresses us biblically. And the truth is, apart from a new heart, a regenerated heart, we cannot see the kingdom of God and we cannot know God. It is our impurity, it is our sin that keeps us from knowing God. The problem isn't with our eyes, the problem is with the condition of our hearts. How are you gonna respond today? How are you gonna respond to the question, how's your heart? Real change, deep change, spiritual change is the work of regeneration done for us by God, the Holy Spirit, for the glory of Christ alone. And so here's what I would close with. Christians, discard self-righteousness. Examine the condition of your hearts. Because for many, although your actions may look Christian, your hearts are distant from God. And if you don't know Jesus, and the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus pardons all who turn to him. And he invites you. Do you need change? Turn to Jesus, repent, and be given a new heart. Don't just be made good, be made new through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you because uh, you don't just convict us of our sin, although you do that, and you do that really well, and we're actually very grateful if we're honest. But you also comfort us with the gospel. God, and that comfort is brought before us through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That we can adopt a posture of humility because of the Holy Spirit at work in us. That we could adopt a posture of humility because the Holy Spirit is drawing us closer to you. That we can adopt a posture of humility because the Holy Spirit is making much of you. We can adopt a posture of humility because the Holy Spirit is exposing us. But he doesn't 
He doesn't just leave us there. You don't just leave us there. You comfort us and embrace us with the promise of your word. That you will take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. That you will cleanse us with water. That you will give us a new spirit, a new uh, way of thinking. That you would give us your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, that you would abide in us. God, may we, may we begin to, to, to wrap our minds in understanding around the great work, but also some of the shy work of the Holy Spirit. God, may we come to know you, Holy Spirit, better over the course of the next couple of weeks. that we would come to know you for better understanding, that we would come to know you so that we would worship you, that we would come to know you better so that we would be made more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you impact not just the minds of my brothers and sisters here this morning, but the hearts. Would you make change happen? Because I know Many of us here want it. We want change. We're frustrated. We're uh, frustrated with ourselves. We're constantly dropping the ball. Or maybe we were even convicted by the first question of what would even change if we didn't have you? Lord, would you expose our hearts this morning so that we would lean into you and be be made new through you? And God, as we walk into a time of tithes and offerings. Lord, may this be um, evidence of transformation where we give sacrificially, uh, cheerfully, and faithfully primarily because you gave your son sacrificially and that you, Jesus, gave uh, yourself on our behalf for the joy that was set before you. So may we give faithfully to you as a way of, as an evidence of transformation and evidence of what you are doing in and through us as a church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.